Hi, this is Steve from Great Lakes True Crime. You're listening to the Apple for the Teacher podcast, which tells true crime stories in schools. So join Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host, as she presents the bad apples within the school system. You'll hear school stories that are tragic, shocking, unbelievable, and outright bizarre. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining me today for today's episode. We're now up to episode 63, and this one is going to be a tearjerker, so have your tissues ready. But before we get into all of that, let's get into some niceties instead first. Let's say hello to some of our Facebook group members. We have Sandy N. Wayne Musgrove, Taylor Coombs, Mavari Shukarova, Mehmet Vessel Selick, Kevin Norris, and Daryl Kelly. Hello to all of you. Now, the story today has a connection to Ethiopia, so this will be our country of focus. The name Ethiopia comes from the Greek words atho and ops, which together mean burnt face. This is how the ancient Greeks referred to the dark-skinned people of Eastern Africa. If you enjoy coffee, then you have Ethiopia to thank for it. The story goes that a goat herder noticed that his sheep liked to nibble on a particular tree. So he tried it himself, and this was the start of the coffee industry. In some parts of Ethiopia, people consider twins to be bad luck, believing they may be cursed or invite evil spirits. And would you have any idea about the number of calories that you consume each day? Well, Ethiopians are one of the least calorie-consuming countries in the world, with only 1,800 per day. And it is tradition in Ethiopia that parents and children do not have the same last name. Instead, most children take their father's first name as their last name. A human fossil was found in Ethiopia in 1972, which was believed to be three million years old. She was named Lucy as the Beatles song Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds was playing at the time. And finally, for boys in Ethiopia, it is a rite of passage to take part in the jumping of the bulls ceremony. Not the running of the bulls, but the jumping of the bulls. Between 15 to 30 bulls are lined up side by side and each naked boy must leap down the line of bulls jumping from back to back. If they fall, they get teased and whipped by the women. So now let's preview the episode today. It's called American Dream. The students achieved their dreams of attending Harvard University. But first, a warning that this story deals with mental health and depression. I'd like to set the scene for this story by asking you a question. I'd like you to think about the very well-known and prestigious universities around the world. You may come up with the following. Oxford, Yale, Cambridge, Harvard, Stanford and Princeton, just to name a few. Well, the story today happened at the Harvard University in the US and revolves around two students that attended the university. But first, here are some quick facts about Harvard. It's the oldest university in the US and was established in 1636. It has a very long list of well-known people who have graduated from there. 
including eight presidents of the United States and also many Nobel Prize winners and Pulitzer Prize winners. Some of the notables are George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Al Gore, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates and many, many others. This story involves two female students who, despite their very humble beginnings, went on to achieve their lifelong dream to attend Harvard University. So let's first look at the backgrounds of each of them. First was a student named Trang Ho, who was born in Vietnam. Trang's father had been an architect and her mother was a schoolteacher. After two decades of conflict during the Vietnam War, the country's population had been decimated and many millions became refugees. The country's infrastructure and economy had been devastated. Trang's family sought to escape to America and made a few failed attempts by boat. Then, in 1984, they made plans to escape by boat and made their way to a coastal village where they hid at night in the sand dunes. After waiting for hours, a small boat pulled up onto the shore. But it was a bittersweet moment as Trang's mother and brother had to stay behind, so it was only her and her father and sister who left. It just would have been too dangerous for the whole family to try to escape together. So they planned to settle in America and then sponsor the rest of the family. The boat headed to Indonesia and was very overcrowded. They had to stand for the whole seven days of the journey. None of them knew how to swim. They finally reached a refugee camp in Indonesia and applied for visas to the US. While they waited, the girls studied English at the camp school. Finally, after 11 months, they received visas and flew to San Diego. They stayed with a Vietnamese family that sponsored them and the girls were enrolled in a public school. Trang made the most of her new opportunity in America, studying hard at school. Then the family moved to Boston, where her father was able to find work. He dreamed of his daughters attending one of the universities in Boston. Meanwhile, back in Vietnam, the government harassed the rest of the family, and despite many attempts, they were not able to get them to America. Throughout high school, Trang's teachers had nothing but glowing reports about her. While her sister became distracted by boys, Trang stayed totally focused on her dream to become a doctor. Here is what one teacher said about her. She was a very thoughtful young woman to go along with all that ability. I've never seen an individual so cherished by her teachers. There have been other students who excelled academically, but they didn't have that total package. Her determination to succeed, her friendliness as a person. She was very positive and upbeat, but also humble and unassuming. It was during her final high school year that the whole family was reunited, with Trang's mother and brother making it to the US. But that final year was also tumultuous, as her parents eventually divorced. Trang had this to deal with, as well as her studies, but managed to graduate as valedictorian, which means that she attained the highest score in her graduating class. Trang had always set her sights on Harvard, in her application, she spoke about her family, about Vietnam, and the plight of boat people. She said, 
Without the help of advocates, my family would still be in a camp, striving against all odds for survival and not having the opportunity to succeed as I have now. Although I no longer live in Vietnam, I still care for my country and I will never forget that I am one of the leaders of the future who will make significant differences. The Harvard Admissions Office recognised Trang's academics as well as her many endearing qualities and although she was accepted into every college she applied to, it was the full scholarship to Harvard that finally came to fruition. Okay, now let's look at the other student named Sinadu Tedese. She grew up in the African country of Ethiopia. When I think about Ethiopia, I have the haunting images of the starving people and children during the famine of the 1980s. Ethiopia is often referred to as the cradle of civilization, as the ancestors of Homo sapiens originated from there. Despite this, it has had a history of war and poverty. Thousands of years of over-cultivation has resulted in land depletion and the lack of industry and natural resources has also contributed to the country's woes. While the country's population increased, droughts and declining food production left people in abject poverty with a very high malnutrition rate. When Sinadu was born, the country had been taken over by a military dictatorship called the Derg, who had overthrown the ruling emperor at the time. What followed was a period of time in the country known as the Red Terror. It was a very turbulent time in the country's history with mass imprisonments, torture and murder. Sinadu's family had been well off comparatively speaking, with her father being the headmaster of several schools. He had been educated at an American university in Beirut. When Sinadu was seven, her father was imprisoned as a political prisoner for suspected rebel ties. So her mother had to bring up Sinadu and her sister. Sinadu was one of the lucky ones who attended a Catholic elementary school while poorer families could only send their children to public schools. Students in these schools would have to sit on the floor with about 100 students per class and with very few resources. Most children were considered lucky if they only got one year of schooling, with only one-fifth of children going to school and one-tenth going on to high school. When she was in eighth grade, Sinadu had the opportunity to sit an English exam for entrance into the International Community School in Ethiopia. It was a school for children of foreigners, diplomats and businessmen. Each year, the school gave scholarships to a selected few students. Sinadu took the test and achieved the second highest score in the country. Therefore, she was accepted into the school and went on to have a distinguished high school record. During her time there, the principal said this about her. Sinadu is an extremely dependable person. Once committed, she can always be counted on to devote herself to a task and complete it. Sinadu was known to be totally dedicated to her studies. She was also described as the typical Ethiopian girl, not verbally opinionated. She dressed modestly, was demure and followed rules without question. In her final year, she achieved second place in Ethiopia for the SATs and then applied to various universities in America. 
Due to her extinguished academic record, she was accepted into a number of universities, but ultimately chose Harvard. She described it as being the happiest day of her life. She planned to become a doctor and then return to Ethiopia, which only had one doctor to every 35,000 people. She left Ethiopia to attend Harvard, but didn't go alone. A fellow male student who received the highest score in the country also went to Harvard with her. So they had each other to navigate their new lives in America. So the two girls, Sinadu and Trang, both find themselves at Harvard. The girls are each paired with other students as roommates. Sinadu began having difficulty getting along with her roommate, as did Trang with hers. And Trang was also dealing with her parents' divorce. Sinadu and Trang then met each other in one of their classes and decided to room together. Their residence was called the Dunster House. And so began a friendship between the two girls who had shared a common experience of being foreigners and they began spending a lot of time together. It was coming to the end of the semester and the girls were taking their final exams before heading off on the summer break. It was the Friday of the Memorial Day weekend and one of Trang's friends named Tao came to visit. Tao was also a student from Vietnam. The girls packed Trang's things ready for the holidays. The next morning, Trang was about to leave to study for an exam when the two girls noticed Sinadu on her bed in a fetal position and crying. When the girls returned later, Sinadu was still in the same position. Trang asked her if she was okay, but Sinadu just waved them to go away. Later, Trang left to take a three-hour exam while Tao stayed in their room. Sinadu then also left, with Tao assuming that she was going to take an exam. Trang then returned to their room, so relieved that exams were finally over. She and Tao decided to go out and celebrate with another friend, who would be Trang's new roommate after the holidays. Trang had been living with Sinadu for two years and wanted to then room with other friends. Before they left to go out that night, Sinadu had returned and they heard her in her room talking on the phone and crying. The girls went out and returned at about 2am in the morning. They noticed Sinadu lying on her bed, but the light was still on. The girls went to bed, sharing Trang's bed. This was normal in Vietnamese culture. Trang had shared a bed with her own sister. The two girls slept in the bed head to toe. Then at about 8am in the morning, an alarm went off. Trang told Tao that it was just Sinadu's alarm. Sinadu had been in the bathroom, but because of the way that the room was set out, she had to go through Trang's room to get back to her room to turn the alarm off, and then she returned to the bathroom. The girls then fell back asleep. Shortly after, Tao awoke to a horrific sight. She saw Sinadu stabbing Trang with a knife. As Tao had been lying the opposite way, she tried to kick the knife with her foot but got cut herself. She then tried to grab the knife but got cut on her hand and then fled out of the room. She started banging on the other room doors but no one responded. She then fled out into the courtyard where another student found her bleeding heavily. Frantic, she told him what had happened and he went to call the police. Trang had sustained 45 stab wounds. 
The wounds were all over her body, including on her chest, neck and head. It was believed that the facial wounds had been the ones to her heart and lungs. In the bathroom, they found Sinadu hanging by a rope which had been secured to the shower curtain rod. A kitchen knife was found in her pocket. You can imagine the reaction at the university when the news of the deaths reached everyone. Here are some of the comments that people made about Trang. When someone dies, you always portray the victim as so perfect and good. But with Trang, it's really true. She really was that perfect. She really shone as a person. Without a doubt, considering her compassionate and cheerful personality, she would have been an outstanding doctor. I really can't believe she is in the grave. She worked so hard and never had the chance to reap the benefits. The other students thought long and hard about what had transpired between the two girls. Here is what one of them said. Trang had many best friends, but even when things were good between them, Sinadu was never one of them. People recalled that Trang and Sinadu had been friendly in the first year, but then things began to change. Trang mentioned that Sinadu was very messy and she spoke about wanting to live with another roommate. That's when she arranged to move rooms with another girl after the summer break. In the days prior to her murder, she had been packing her things to move out. So there was much speculation that Sinadu just couldn't accept the rejection. The president of the African Students Association had this to say about Sinadu. She was a very responsible student. She was mostly the first person to come to meetings, but also the first to leave because she was very soft-spoken and it's a shock and surprise that this has happened. Other African students said that they didn't know Sinadu very well, but that she didn't seem troubled or unusual and that she was very quiet and private. Some speculation began circulating that perhaps the two girls had been romantically involved and that when Sinadu saw Trang in bed with another girl that she had snapped. But those who were closest to the girls really couldn't see that it was a crime of passion. The guidance counsellor at Harvard said the following about Sinadu. She was shy and retiring, not capable of individual expression. Ethiopians don't speak to outsiders. There is no psychological culture. Most people are so concerned about individual survival that there is no room for other things. Following the investigations, it was discovered that Sinadu had been seeing a psychologist at the Harvard University Health Services, which was a surprise to everyone as she hadn't spoken about this at all. One of the English tutors at Harvard recalled a brief encounter that they had had with Sinadu. The tutor had been reading student submissions for an upcoming writing seminar and had to choose which students could attend the seminar based on their written submissions. The list of successful students was placed on the tutor's door. Sinadu had written a submission but hadn't been chosen. So she went to speak to the tutor to find out why she hadn't been accepted. Sinadu expressed how much she wanted to attend and spoke about her life in Ethiopia, saying, In Ethiopia, where I come from, I have seen terrible violence and poverty and things no one would understand. In hindsight, the tutor regretted not choosing Sinadu and saw that this was perhaps her way 
of crying for help. When the devastating news filtered back to Ethiopia, those who had known Sinadu were in total shock. At her school, so many had looked up to her as valedictorian. Here are some comments from her teachers. Her chemistry teacher said, What could have happened to make her change this way? The whole hope of the school is to be able to send a student to America. Another teacher said, I did not believe it when I heard it. And when I read there were 45 stab wounds, I knew it was not true. I tried it with a piece of meat and it was impossible. My arms were too tired. I had to give up. Those who knew Sinadu at school didn't believe that what she did was a result of academic pressures at Harvard, as she had been used to this type of pressure and had clearly excelled. A teacher said, it must have been a betrayal by a friend. The friend of hers, the roommate, must have meant a great deal to her. Sinadu's high school physics teacher had the following to say, the data we have just doesn't add up. It is impossible. The only way I could conceive of Sinadu having done this is if she had some problem in her brain, like a brain tumour or some hormone imbalance. Here is a person who had a vision for the future, and it was bright and very promising, and she was motivated to work hard and to earn that vision. Why would that person want to die? People who commit suicide don't have a vision. I get awake at nights thinking about it. How did she lose her vision? Sinadu's school records throughout her schooling contain reports from teachers who all praised her highly. I have read a number of her school reports and they are what you would expect of someone who was able to make it into Harvard. However, there was one report which stood out to me. The headmistress at her elementary school said the following in one of her reports. I have discovered that Sinadu lacks courage to uphold the principles she believes in due to fear of the consequences. She is inclined to feel hurt easily, but with proper guidance, these drawbacks can be corrected with proper guidance when she gets older. So I thought this was really interesting that she said that Sinadu hurt easily. It seems that she really may have been very hurt by Trang wanting to live with the other roommate. Following the initial shock about what happened and the early rumours, people then began looking more closely at how her African heritage may have played a part. As you can imagine, the stark contrast between Ethiopia and America was difficult for Sinadu to navigate. Ethiopian students find the transition difficult, as explained by this Ethiopian psychologist. There is no tradition of rugged individualization in Ethiopia. Ethiopians' self-identity lies in their community. In America, you believe, I think, therefore I am. But in Ethiopia, we believe, we think, therefore we are. In America, there is the great loss of the we. Although the university had an African Students Association, the Ethiopians didn't identify with other Africans. They had a different language, culture and history. They felt like they were pushed towards the other Africans, as there weren't enough Ethiopians to form their own community. And for the first time, they experienced racism. 
For African Americans, racism was a part of growing up, but this wasn't the case in Ethiopia. Sinadu had been used to being quiet, studious, and modest, but she found this at odds with other American students. She noticed how much emphasis there was on physical appearance, whereas in Ethiopia, you were not supposed to draw attention to yourself. She also noticed that the Americans were used to selling themselves and doing things to stand out. They also spoke about personal things, including frank sexual discussions, which was totally foreign to Sinadu. And for the first time in her school life, she wasn't at the top of her class anymore. The American style of learning was totally different. She was used to rote learning and memorization, while the American system taught critical thinking and expressing personal points of view. She also wasn't used to giving presentations, which gave her much anxiety. As mentioned earlier, Sinadu had received the second highest result from all the students in Ethiopia. The boy who had received the highest results was also accepted into Harvard, so he knew Sinadu better than most others. Here is his perspective. He was surprised that she had been seeing a psychologist, and he himself had never heard of psychologists in Ethiopia, or even knew what depression was. He said, happiness is not an Ethiopian value. He also said she wasn't overly friendly, maybe making American friends, she felt she would compromise her Ethiopian identity. But he now felt that she had gone to great lengths to hide her loneliness. It could have been fear that if she did open up her emotional side, that she'd be opening up a void she'd have no way of filling. One of Sinadu's cousins had this to say, Sinadu has been portrayed as a quiet loner who suffered from culture shock. The prevailing portrait is 100% wrong. Sinadu loved life. This is completely out of her character. Following the murder-suicide, it was discovered that Sinadu had a number of diaries, which gave an insight into what she was going through. Her diary revealed how happy she was when she first met Trang. She saw in her a fellow foreigner who was also reserved. At first, Sinadu spoke glowingly about Trang, but then the differences between the two of them became evident to her. She noted that Trang was doing better academically than her. Sinadu had been achieving a B average, which was below her usual achievements in Ethiopia. This meant her grades were not high enough to get into Harvard Medical School, although she could have gone to other medical schools. She also noted that Trang had a social life, which she didn't. Sometimes, when friends had called Trang, Sinadu didn't pass on the messages. Trang would also go away for the weekends to stay with her family. Sinadu wrote how lonely she was at home by herself. She also wrote about when Trang invited friends over to their room, how they spent time together in Trang's room, talking and laughing, but they didn't include her. When Sinadu found out that Trang was moving in with another roommate, she begged her not to go. She even went to the other girl and asked if she could move in too, and the girl agreed. However, she then changed her mind when Trang told her that she was moving to be away from Sinadu. Other excerpts of her diaries revealed how she was tired of being boring and how she urged herself to try to appear normal. 
she also urged herself to display a false happiness, just to smile regardless of how she felt. She felt fearful of opening up to people to express her fears, loneliness and insecurities. Here is another excerpt from her diary. Well, why am I writing this letter? Because I am desperate. Most of my days are long and boring and I drag through them with a sigh after sigh. Even the days that I call happy are randomly pierced with pain, realizing that I am laughing standing on thin air. My problem is that I am not bonding with people. I do not make friends, not even with my relatives. I live in my own shell, afraid to reveal my personality and to express my opinions. Although it took me a long time to realize, I am shy. I blush at every little thing. The mention of Harvard might make you think, okay, she is one of those successful people who made it in life. Unfortunately, I don't feel one tiny bit of the success. Despite the outward glory, I feel pain. All my life, I have been plagued with social problems. As far as I can remember, my life has been hellish. Year after year, I became lonelier and lonelier. I see friends deserting me. To illustrate Sinadu's state of mind, her diaries also revealed how she looked through the pages of a phone book and then sent letters to complete strangers, urging them to be her friend. Oh my goodness, how sad is that? So, how did Sinadu's family respond to the devastating news of what their daughter had done? The family were not keen to talk about it, but did provide a short statement. They said she had never been angry, sad or depressed and spoke glowingly about her many academic achievements. Her father said, This is why it is difficult to swallow that Sinadu committed murder and suicide. Impossible. A journalist from America travelled to Ethiopia to talk to the family, but they did not want to speak about their daughter. Her father said, What's the point of speaking about Sinadu? I do not want to speak or hear anything about Sinadu. It will not help us. It is better to forget. My daughter did not do that. But the journalist persisted and the family eventually invited her to their house. This is what Sinadu's father said. I don't care what a hundred police detectives or a thousand psychologists tell me. I know my daughter did not commit these crimes. My daughter has been framed and murdered. The stories we read we do not believe. It is the opposite of the nature of Sinadu. Who would know her if not her parents? There has been a cover-up. Three years after her death, Trang's family filed a lawsuit against Harvard, alleging wrongful death, conscious pain and suffering, and emotional distress. They accused the university of negligence and that the deaths could have been prevented. And here is some further info which may support the family's view. A year before the deaths, three other students had committed suicide, two of which lived in the same residence as Sinadu and Trang. Students reported that it took up to 10 to 15 days to see a mental health professional and that it was difficult to see the same person on a regular basis. This pointed to an understaffing issue. So it seems that maybe the university's mental health services were lacking. But on the other hand, should this be blamed for what Sinadu did? This was such a sad story and usually we don't have sympathy for the perpetrator. And although I can see the arguments 
that the culture shock and her state of mind led to the murder. I just think it can't be used as a justification for taking Trang's life in the way that she did. It wasn't an accident. Stabbing someone 45 times was particularly heinous. She didn't stab a few times and then realise what she'd done and stopped. No, she kept going relentlessly. I did feel for Sinadu, but then I came across one further piece of information, which is also very telling. Now, it may seem that she might have suddenly snapped that morning of the murder. However, about a week before the murder, it was established that Sinadu had sent an anonymous photo of herself to the Harvard Crimson, which is Harvard's student newspaper. The photo also had a note that said the following. Keep this picture. There will soon be a very juicy story involving this woman. So this clearly shows that her action was premeditated. After reading this, any small amount of sympathy that I had for her, it just disappeared. For me to say, poor girl, she suffered so much, the culture shock was too much. Yes, I can understand that she was going through a lot. We do need to acknowledge that mental health is very serious, but Sinadu's woes cannot out-trump Trang's senseless murder. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Do you perhaps see that both of them were victims? Do you have any sympathy for Sinadu? As I said, I did feel for her until I read what she said in that note, and that really changed my mind. So if you'd like to tell me what you think, we can have a discussion about it in our Facebook group. So in this story, I gave the name of the perpetrator, Sinadu, which I don't normally do. This story was different in that it couldn't have been told without the full backstory of each girl. And I really hope that after listening to this story, that you may reach out to someone that you may know to offer support if they are dealing with similar issues. Or if you are that person, please, please seek out help. I want the telling of this story to hopefully make a difference to you or to someone else. And to finish, I'd like to share with you a saying that I came across, which I think sums up this story. Beware of stagnant waters and calm people. I think that this really sums up Sinadu very well. And Sinadu herself wrote this in her high school yearbook. Friendship is life's most precious treasure. Very poignant after you know what happened, isn't it? And now I'd like to give you a preview of the next episode. It's called Chinese Burn. The students were performing in a theatre for the Chinese dignitaries. What happened? And to finish, I will leave you with this quote. When it rains, look for rainbows. When it's dark, look for stars. Bye for now, and remember to be a good apple.